Thank you, Ben, very much. I really appreciate that. I thought you were a little cuter than normal today. You're welcome. That's just my take on <clears throat> the whole thing. So I'm a senior in high school in a little town called Monita, Virginia, about 40 minutes outside uh, the much larger town of Roanoke, Virginia. It's a very small school, not as small as schools around here, but small by the standards of a, a suburban West Coast Seattle boy. And we had 600 uh, students from seventh grade on up to uh, a senior in high school. It was springtime, and the coaches decided I had an arm, so I was going to play third base, and I got to be a relief pitcher. Well, we had some pitchers on our team, one in particular that was getting some attention from the colleges. So every once in a while, a, uh, a scout would show up, more often than not, with a radar gun set behind, the, set behind the catcher there. And I'd think, wow, scouts are here. Wonder if I'm going to get the call about the fifth inning. I'd get the call off the third base. I'd run in. I'd throw two or three pitches. Scout would put his gun away, go home. That happened several times. Apparently, they weren't impressed by my 72 and a half mile an hour fastball. I had a uh, changeup that went about 40, had a nice little arc in it. But I didn't get scouted. There's this idea that's perpetuated often, often, that you can be whoever you want to be. That's not true. I will never be a professional baseball pitcher, regardless of how much, how bad I wanted to be a professional baseball pitcher. It's not in my genetics or my mechanics, and it's frankly not in my head. We have told our children in our schools that they're special. There, there are in one sense, but they're more normal than they are special. They're not in one sense unique to the universe. Of course they are. There's never been another one, and you know I believe that. But not in a way that deserves special treatment. So by the time they get to be 35 years old and married and no one's telling them they're special anymore. They don't go through premature pre-life. They learn that they're normal. Daddies, please don't call your little girls princesses. Fathers, please don't call your boys buddies. If your son's eight years old and he's your buddy, I wonder who your adult buddies are. Are you with me? I've heard so many moms call their 18-year-old daughter their best friend. I wonder about that. What kind of conversations does a mom have with her 18-year-old daughter that would make her her best friend? Do they really talk about intimate things? Oh, you can talk about weather, talk about other people, talk about the price of cattle. You can go shopping together and say, isn't this cute? But best friend, if I told you my best friend as a 61-year-old man was a 21-year-old person, you'd probably say, there's something wrong there, wouldn't you? Right? 
the messages we send and the scripts that we write are really important. And we need to be conscious about them. I want my children to like me just like you do. But I'm their father. I'm not their big buddy. And I need to remember that role. Mom, your 21-year-old daughters need you to be an elegant, regal, adult, mature woman. Not their buddy. They can find that in Zeta Eta Pi down frat row. They need you to model adult womanhood for them. They are going through different things than you are. They need you to lead them. And fathers the same way. It may surprise you to know this speech has nothing to do with my sermon, except a very thin thread. We're going to talk about the idea of sober judgment. If we could get that text in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, right in the middle of this here, you'll see the word sober. And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, and we want to get to that. We've talked about Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2. What I want to talk about is essentially this, telling the truth to ourselves about the truth of ourselves. Did you catch that? Telling ourselves the truth about ourselves to ourselves. Now, we've looked at being a living sacrifice as worship. Have we not? Do you remember that? We've looked at God's will is living out a transformed mind so that we're not conformed to the world. And I want to develop those topics because this is a continuation of that topic. Now, when you look at this, I want you to know how gracious Paul is. He's being very gentle here. Paul can be harsh, right? Have you read the New Testament? He can be harsh. He's being very gentle here. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather... Think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance to the measure of the faith God has given to you. He needs us to view ourselves rightly because pretty soon here, he's going to be talking about the gifts that each of you have. And if you don't view yourselves, if I don't view myself rightly, we won't know what gift we have. We'll know what gift we want to have. We'll know what gift they've told us we should have. And if we're in a certain denomination, they'll total tell us what gifts are really cool and what gifts are lesser gifts. They may not say that, but they'll live it out. In another denomination, it'll be a different set of lists of what you should be, what you shouldn't be. And so this text right here, Paul is basically coming to the Romans and saying, guys, you know my story. God has been extremely gracious to me. And out of that grace, out of that living sacrifice, out of hopefully that transformed mind, we come to verse 3 and I say, I, I want to say something carefully to you here, Roman Jews. Don't think of yourselves too high. But it's implied, don't think of yourselves too low either. We have this idea, it's been around for a number of decades, about a 
positive self-image or a negative self-image. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me clearly. This verse is about an accurate self-image. You can stand in the mirror and self-talk all you want. I'll never be six foot four. And what would it be like for me today, still chasing my dream that the mind can conceive and the heart will believe I can achieve? Standing in the mirror saying, I'm going to be a Yankee. I'm going to be a Yankee. I'm going to be a Yankee. Some point we have to rewrite that and be satisfied with the nosebleed section at the Yankee Stadium sometime in our life if we're lucky, right? One has to do with fantasy. A positive self-image is a good thing. It can be anchored in fragile, fragile fantasy. A negative self-image is a bad thing, but it is also anchored in fragile, fragile fantasy. It's not anchored in truth. What each of us needs to have. Are you with me, folks? Thank you, Sissy. What each of us needs to have is an accurate self-image. Let me give you, I think it might help if a little Latin or, or Greek lesson, because you expect that from me. The idea of sober comes from the Greek word. It's two Greek words, like many of these complicated compound words are. Sopho, phrene. Sopho meaning to be safe or the idea of safety. That's really odd. Freeing the idea of regulating oneself. Self safely regulate is that word soforino. Sober. Freno is where we get our word diaphragm. Our diaphragm regulates our breathing. Am I right? And our diaphragm is what keeps our breathing where it needs to be. Our diaphragm is a breathing regulator. The idea here, and I'm not alone, I did some work on this because it is, is, is such an odd choice of words, but the idea is don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourself safely regulated. Don't let your mind wander off into fantasies that someone told you, I'm no good. That's a fantasy that someone else told you. Regulate that, because that's dangerous, because it's not the truth. Check, check. Got it? Don't wander off into the dangerous world of who's the man? Girls like me. I'm fast. I'm smart. I killed that. Don't go to the big city because I won't kill it there. But small town, I'm killing it. Don't go there. That's unregulated fantasy. It's dangerous because it's not true. You still with me? Isn't that a great idea? Isn't that a wonderful concept? He's saying, be, in other words, clear-minded. Have a sound mind. 
In words I've introduced already, think of yourself accurately. Tell yourself the truth about yourself. And folks, I hope, especially young people, I hope that frees you up. When we tell ourselves the truth about ourselves, we live in our own story that God has given to us. And as we'll read later in in the following verses, our own story of whatever our gift might be. And my gift isn't yours and yours isn't mine necessarily. It will look different. If we understand ourselves, we'll live in our story. If we're not selfly regulated, we'll live the rest of our lives so that our mother approves of us and we'll live her story for us. If we're not safely regulated, we will spend the rest of our lives living the church's story for us. And depending on which denomination you're at this morning, that could be a really nice thing or it could be kind of an ugly thing. But regardless, it's a script given to us by an institution that we've learned to live out so that we can do something good and we become arrogant. Because we're not in our story. We're living another story. We've allowed ourselves to go into fantasy and say, if I live into this denominational story, or this jock story, or this bad boy story, or this cute girl story, or this I hope nobody notices me story, that is a fantasy that is not selfly safely regulated, and it's a problem because we haven't had a transformed mind yet. Do you see how the verses connect? We are conformed to the world. The world says, you got to be against the man, so I'll live out that script. It's not about wearing pants or wearing jeans or wearing or haircuts. It's never been about that. It's never been about not cussing, not swearing, not drinking, not smoking. That, this verse has never been about that. This verse is to the Jewish people, and he's saying in Rome, do not adapt the Roman secular script for your life. Be transformed. Be different because you're honest. Check, check. You tell yourself the truth. I tell myself the truth about me. I love that. Let's go on further. Oh, I have a note here. I, I was, you, I've, I've told enough of my story now over these years that you're, you've got an idea of some of my background. But I developed the idea really early on that I wasn't a good student. And teachers confirmed that because they would make this boy who was too young for school and all he could think about was getting out on the playground so he could show the other kids how fast he was and that he could catch a ball because on the playground I was somebody. And I would just be fidgety in my classroom. Hard to hold still. And then I'd get bit by the teacher. And then after the teacher bit me, I'd be more concerned with going, ouch, that really hurt because I was a sensitive kid. Ouch, that hurt. I missed her next 15 sentences. 
And so it compounds, right? We all know that. So I believe because I didn't do well that I wasn't a good student. But hold up just a minute here. I'm small. I'm a new kid in school. Fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, and seventh grade. And I just haven't gone across town or I haven't moved to the Christian school. I've moved states. So all these agendas of being a new kid in school, having new math programs, new English programs, new summer teaching more of a classical, summer teaching more of a uh, this, some are really dumbed down, and that's the truth of that situation. But I can't see that as a kid. All I can see is I'm not doing well. All I can see is, uh, how can I keep my mom from seeing my report card? <clears throat> and I struggled up until I was a senior in high school. I believed that until I was 49 years old. And well, I, 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 I was certified in EMT in my early 20s. And I did really well in the EMT class. But I didn't, I didn't because it was tactile because I could touch it, feel it, move, do things, take leadership. Uh, but I didn't equate that with the, some of the EMTs went on to be nurses and, and paramedics in those days. And I didn't because I was afraid of the study. It wasn't until I was in a master's class at age 49, and I'm listening to the questions that the other students are asking. I'm listening to the teacher. I'm reading the material. I'm understanding it. I'm interested in it. I turn in my first book report, which was a real challenge because they wanted New York Times quality book reports. And I was scared to death, and it comes back with an A. And that's just a weird thing. I don't know how to hear that. So we do it again. And I scored real well all through the class. And some of you were involved in me proving my master's thesis. Thank you for that. And I got an A on my master's final project. So am I a good student? Well, I know now for a fact at 50 years old that I'm not a bad student and that I'm not dumb, but it took me that long to figure it out. Right? Are you with me? <laughs> Some of you believe things about yourself today that you won't work out for another 20 years. Some of you believe things about your parents that you hold to be absolute truth that you'll find out was absolute lack of information 20 years from now. Be careful how tight you hold them, students. So this idea of being sound mind and clear-headed and truth Accurate is such a biblical concept to how we move forward and do church because we're going to come to the topic of love one another, serve one another, speak prophecy to one another, give to one another, help one another. That's what we're coming to. And if you're not doing your job, well, whose job are you doing? We want to have accurate self-image, not positive self-image. Not a negative self-image. I want to have an accurate self-image. Let me talk about that for just, just a bit. A negative self-image makes us very fragile. And it makes us become extreme users and manipulators when we have a 
negative self-image. Because if I stand here today with a negative self-image, all of you are required in my mind to affirm me. I need you. If you walk into your classroom with a negative self-image and those people in there don't give you what you need, what you want, what you hope for, you wrote a Valentine's card, you were real nice to somebody, and they didn't respond, so they're idiots. All because a negative self-image becomes a user. It has to become a user. A positive self-image is a user. Because if I have a positive self-image, the world is required to prop that up. The world is required to keep that going. And if I spill coffee on my dress moments before, okay, one time there was a dress. <laughs> coffee on my dress moments before I go into this thing that I'm real sensitive about, my positive self-image that's fragile, that needs this event to affirm me, now is in danger. And I get mad at the person who spilled that coffee on me. Or I get mad at myself. And the people around go, whoa, it's, we got another dress. We can get this cleaned up. But a positive self-image is a user and fragile. The only way to find real strength, real security, real authenticity, and you know where I'm going, right? Is to have an authentic self-image. One that is truthful about who we are and that tells ourselves the truth. The world's story is religious. A religious story always has blacks and whites, rights and wrongs. Eve, if you eat of that apple, you'll know good from evil. Am I right? The world's story is these are good guys, these are bad guys. This is us, by the way, we're good. This is them, by the way, we're bad. These are the insiders, those are the outsiders. The, this, this is people who know the truth and do it right. These are people who don't. A drunk story, a non-sober story, categorizes life like that so that we can manage who the good guys and the bad guys are, so we know who's who, and so we can protect our self-image, whether it be a bad or unhealthy, or a poor self-image or a good self-image, so we can surround ourselves with good guys and we can keep ourselves in the good guy group. And that's religion. It has to do with conforming. Don't think negative self-image isn't the same thing. Negative self-image people work just as hard to keep themselves in certain groups. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You can test and approve. God's will with regard to ourselves, in this case, verse 3, has to do with don't conform to the positive self-image, negative self-image, good guy, bad guy. That's how the Romans do it. How I want you as people of God to do it is to be truthful about who you are. And then in verse 4, Paul, again, carefully, goes right into the, some of you have a gift of prophecy, and then he talks about that. Use it generously. 
Some of you have the gift of. Some of you have the gift of service. Some of you have the gift of giving. Use it generously. Don't use it to prove that you've got a self-image. I just can't give enough. I've got a poor self-image. My prophecy is not as good as that guy's. Don't use it to say, whoa, I got the coolest prophecies in the church and I figured out a way to make it sound right. And I give the most or I serve the most. Don't use it like that. That's conforming to the world. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the changing of how you think, because then you'll know God's will. And Paul says, I'm going to give you a clue. When it comes to God's will for viewing yourself, view yourself accurately. Everybody take a big breath. Are you with me? Is this freeing to some of you? Elise, is this freeing to you? Elise is my biggest head nodder this morning. (laughs) Which props up my fantasy of who's the man, right? (laughs) And then I need to remind myself, no, don't go there. Be here. Tell myself the truth about me. And if she wasn't nodding, don't go here. Don't conform here. Don't have that in out black white system. That's the world system. Have the system of truth. Each of you is uniquely gifted. Tell yourself the truth about who you are. Now, the truth about me is there's some things I do really well. There's other things I do very poorly. There's times I can be selfish. There's times I can be extremely generous. There's times I can play a martyr, but I pretend to not play the martyr. There's times I want you to like me, and I like wanting you to like me, and it actually works, and I savor it. Day or two later, I'll go, oh, gosh, I did it again. There's times when I just don't feel like something, and I don't know why I don't feel like something, but I don't do it. And Susie says, fine. And she goes and does it herself. And then I say, okay, now Susie's upset with me. And so I start all, and I need to keep coming back to the truth about myself and about situations. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not a good person or a bad person, a positive person or a negative person. You are a mix of all of it, just like me. So be free from that matrix of where we line up in society. The only place you need to line up is on a vertical matrix and your giftedness, according to the context of this text. What is your gift? Verse 3, 4, 5, and beyond. Verse 12, or chapter 12, by the way, is just, just absolutely loaded. I want to give you three points in closing. I don't hear a lot of pages rattling, so I know there's not a lot of note takers out there. Let me offer you a couple things. Number one, learn to do honest self-assessment. Honest self-assessment. Come back to your spouse. Come back to your children. Come back to yourself and say, I've been thinking about what I said. And when I said it, I think this is what I was thinking. But what I was really thinking and really feeling was something different. And I want to be honest with you, my spouse, and tell you that this is what was really going on. That should be immediately followed by a good, authentic apology and then shut up. 
And an authentic apology is not like this. Well, I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry. An authentic apology says, and by the way, an authentic apology isn't, well, I apologize. That's a religious apology. We can go off and say, well, I apologized. An authentic apology is, Susie, I am so sorry I did that. I am sorry, sorry, sorry. I let a wrong story control me for a minute. I got impatient and I went a bad direction and I used you to try to meet a need in me and I'm really sorry. I hope I don't do it again, but I probably will. If you can find a way to forgive me this time, would you please? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. The world says, well, you said, well, no, you said, well, no, I said, well, mom, 10 years ago. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. The world defends itself. The transformed mind looks at itself with sober judgment and owns itself. And in that interaction that you just witnessed, do you think Susie is repulsed by me or drawn to me? Yes, because an authentic, humble apology draws relationship together. And we've already learned that that's what the gospel is about. Reconciling God to man, man to man. Sober judgment, so important. I've had to go to my children. Children, I am so Sorry, I did that. I hope one day you'll find a way to forgive me. And maybe they did, or maybe they didn't. They were kids. I hope they have by now. I, we should revisit that every once in a while. <laughs> our favorite, our favorite places to go. I'm still on point one. Learn to honestly assess yourself. Our favorite places to go. Number one. Comfort and ease. And at some point we need to say, I went to comfort and ease today. In fact, I've been building my life around comfort and ease. In fact, if you were to ask me what my religion is, I spend my energy creating comfort for myself and those around me. Because I'm living in a false story that says if you create comfort for those around you, then you're the man. One of our favorite false stories is comfort and ease. And as Christians, we say, the Lord is my shepherd. And I say, I wonder, I wonder if comfort and ease isn't what we actually worship sometimes. Honest self-assessment. Are you with me? I wouldn't tell you this if I didn't do the, my, my work on this as well. The second thing we do, and this will sting us all. Don't think you're getting out unscathed here. The second thing we do when we look honestly is you've got to ask yourself, has my day been spent? Charles, this doesn't count for you. Has my day been spent in image management? Have I spent my energy today managing my energy, managing how other people see me? I want other people to see me with a walk. Because they think I don't care. They think I'm relaxed when really inside I'm scared to death. I manage 
my energy because I wear, or, or my image, I wear my Converse this morning. Because I don't know how y'all like to dress around here. Some pastors wear t-shirts, some pastors wear suits. Yeah, I don't get it. So I, we, got, we got conservative here, and then we got a little party here. <laughs> I'm pretty confused about that, everybody. Comfort and ease is one of our favorite places to go. As you honestly assess yourself today or this evening, ask yourself, did I try to build a world that promoted the kingdom of God? Did I use my gifts? Did I live in my story? Or did I worship comfort and ease? That doesn't mean you shouldn't watch a game. Did, as you regularly do on a self-assessment, did you spend your energy in image management today? And I will tell you that according to the blogs I read, I say this graciously because I'm in the camp and I would say it to and have said it to my peers. My peers this morning standing in this place around the United States are often most concerned with image management. Sadly, do they want to bring accurately bring the word? I think that's part of it. But what they're more concerned about might be that you don't write them an email about something you said about cats on Sunday. The second thing we often worship as we do honest self-assessment is pain management. We manage pain by staying busy. We manage pain by ABCD. Avoid. Blame compensate, and deny. We avoid the issue. Hope he didn't hear me say that. We blame the other person. Well, here's what you did. We compensate in life by being whatever it is we need to be the best at, somehow becoming a master of some skill. Mastering a trade, mastering a topic, mastering your kitchen, or deny. That didn't happen. I didn't say that. Life is good. I'm not an alcoholic. Comfort and ease, image management, pain management. Avoid, blame, compensate, or deny. And yes, email me and I'll give you those later. Learn to regularly do honest self-assessment, number one. Number two, understand we are humans. We are not good and bad. That happened after the fall. Eve ate the apple. Suddenly her eyes were open, and she was able to discern good from evil, right? Heaven won't have that tension. There won't be good guys, bad guys, us, them, inners, and outers. Good, evil, wrong, Right? It won't be so black and white. I, if I view myself with sober judgment, am a mix of so many things. If I do a good deed, I confess to you, sometimes it's just a good deed. Sometimes there's something in me that wants Susie to notice. We have mixed motives. I can't wash the dishes even and hardly be pure. 
I wash the dishes and hope that Susie notices because somewhere in me, I'm not living out a story that's mine that says serve with gladness. I'm living out a kind of a keep score story, just a little bit. So point number two, understand that we are humans, that until we get to heaven, every act we have will be somehow tainted with mixed motives. That's okay. It's okay. Learn from it. Grow from it. Back to point number one, make a habit of honest assessment. Lastly, and I'll close with this, number three, learn to regulate, regularly do honest self-assessment. Number two, understand that we are human beings in a mix of all kinds of things. Three, don't conform to the world's view of you. You are you. We need you. We don't need you living out somebody else's story for you because you don't have a clear mind, because you're drunk on power, you're drunk on status, you're too busy trying to be, uh, stay out of the limelight, you're too busy playing a small role, you're too busy playing a big role, you're too busy playing a, a hip and groovy role, too busy whatever role, you, don't, you're, you can't stay in your story, you're not you. And God's will, we've already learned, is have transformed mind so you can test and approve what God's perfect will is. Now, I want to say this carefully to you all, but the first thing out of the chute I'm going to say is, after I say God's will, is verse 3, be clear-minded about who you are because these are the gifts I want you to use. Don't be somebody else. Don't play a role. Be you. Don't conform to this world's view of you. Be you. Now, if you ever invite me back again, which you may not after this message, we need you, by the way. I would tell you that we go to the text that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. That is a fabulous wordplay that Jesus twisted these people into a conundrum with because it's true. We need to love others, right? There it is right there. Love your neighbor as yourself. The modern church has twisted that and said, you can't love others until you love yourself. But I think what Jesus was doing this after I've studied for several decades this text and surrounding texts like it, I think what Jesus was doing there is saying to everyone, you love yourself with tremendous energy. You spend tons of energy loving yourself, trying to stay on top of the pile, trying to live out a story where you live in the middle of the pile, trying to live out this story where you're not enough so we can play, play the victim and blame and all the time. And then we don't like that. And so we, we learn to do a skill and then we live out our story and we get top in that, another person's, we get top in that skill. And Jesus is saying, all you Jewish people, you're going crazy trying to measure up. You spend tons of energy making sure your sacrifice is right, wondering about who's doing the law and who's not doing the law, wondering about who's washing their hands and who's not washing their hands, wonder who you saw at the pool on what day of the week and if they bathed right or not. You spend tons of energy trying to be right, 
divide who's in, who's out, who's right and wrong. And Jesus says, use that energy to love them instead of defend yourselves. I'll translate it differently. Love your neighbor as yourself, translated differently. You people and me love ourselves a tremendous amount. We love ourselves at an imaginable level. And whatever we do is about self-love. I feel bad. I'll numb up. I'm a little nervous. I'll light up. I'm a little angry. I'll bury somebody. I can't bury him. He's more powerful than me. I'll find somebody weaker. I'll bury Life's not fair. Next time that happens, I'm going to make sure I sabotage them. We spend tremendous energy comparing and making sure, trying to make sure that we're okay. Use that same energy, friends, to love your spouse today. Use that same energy that Jesus says in that word play that we love ourselves with. Use that same energy to love somebody else. Father, thank you for the idea of sober judgment and for giving us such rich language tools to be able to reflect and ponder. Thanks for Paul who wrote such a logical, linear book that we can actually make sense out of. And thanks for these good people. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Clay, anything I need to know? Folks, thanks for coming this morning. I hope uh, you were encouraged. What he said. Thank you all. We'll see you next week.